Welcome back to the Forever Young podcast. We release episodes on the first of every month. If you're new here, feel free to subscribe and follow us to keep up to date with our uploads. I'm Charlene and I'm joined by Tom. Hello. Hello. How are How you have going? You been? Uh, we always jinxed. do this at the start. We always overlap on our, how are you? Yeah, I just want to know how you're doing. That's why I'm excited to chat with you and do this podcast again with you. Um, I'm good. I actually just came back from Melbourne recently and it is cold there. Yes. I'll say it, that. I'm, I'm very used to Perth weather now. I, I think this last week, we've, I think on Monday, we had our coldest day in Melbourne so far. It was, it was like four degrees or something Celsius. So, oh, daytime, because yeah. this morning it hit like three degrees in Perth. Okay, it's not a competition. In the middle around. of the night, in the middle of the night. So I think it's different because it's yes. like in the middle of the night. Yes, but yeah, it's it's cold here as well. Yes, it's hard when you live out in the desert. You know, hot summers and cold cold nights, right? I mean, don't. <laughs> It's not a, we're not the desert. We're by the coast. <laughs> yeah, desert next to the coast, coast next to the desert. So what book are you reading today, Charlene? So this month we've got The Tao of Healthy Living by Bob Flores. Um, we picked this book because it kind of fits in with the digestive um, podcast that we've been doing and I guess we wanted a different opinion or a different take as well or to explore some other people's um, opinions. One thing to note about the version of the book that we read, though, um, was published in 1998, so it is quite an old book. Yes, this is the third edition of a book that was previously published in 1991, and this is the latest edition in 1998. Ah. So it is still a very old book that's been mm-hmm. updated, but I think this is as far as it comes in terms of its how relevant it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's published from 1998 is the latest edition. So uh, one of the main reasons that learning about Chinese medicine diet therapy is so good is that it's kind of passed through the test of time where It's older than 2000 years old and people have tested it. And it's not just that kind of passing fad that comes by. Uh, Therefore, uh, I think it's something that we can go go into and delve into and not have to worry too much about how old the information is because uh, the author is taking it from 2000 years ago. So it's like if it works back then, it probably is still relevant or even more relevant than it is now. Yeah, I agree. And a big thing that he talks about or a big aspect of the Chinese medicine diet therapy is to individualize it to the person. So basically you're just applying the principles, but the food you're recommending could be different from like from person to person. So it's not as specific as well. It's quite kind of fluid in what you can um, and can't use like in terms of food. Uh, there's even a quote in the book where he suggests is talking about how it's kind of like herbal medicine but it's the one that comes before herbal medicine so depending on the person's constitution you would recommend different types of foods and if that really doesn't work then you would look at 
doing either acupuncture, herbs, that sort of stuff to supplement mm-hmm. because it's not enough that they're doing from food. So food is kind of the first and foremost when it comes to taking care of someone because if even if you do herbs and acupuncture, if their habits don't change, their body and constitution won't change. It'll come back as well. Yeah. So I guess one of the first things the book goes into is the digestion process, um, which I think we've touched on on the previous episodes um, about digestion. So if you are looking for more detail into the digestive process, um, you can either read the book or you can listen to our previous podcasts. Yeah, the, the two the two podcasts that we covered just now, the upper GI and the lower GI, they mm-hmm. do a quite in-depth uh, understanding of how the body works in terms of digestion. His one is a little bit more simpler, just talking about just the part, what the stomach does and what the spleen does, and then he moves on from there. Mm-hmm. Let's Let's talk a little bit about the five flavors. I feel like that's one of the most interesting things for me when I was learning about diet therapy and what it does, how we can incorporate that and understand understand it from a Chinese medicine perspective. Yeah, definitely. And it's one of the things that you do learn in school as well, or um, not school, uni. And then you kind of like learn it and then you kind of forget about it. Yeah, yeah. Because with it, I, f- I feel like this is more easily accessible knowledge, whereas uni, you're there to be like, oh, they've come in, they've got really bad problems now that they need the acupuncture and the herbs. And that's what we're kind of there to learn as well. So. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, this is a bit more like DIY. You can do it yourself and help to kind of um, balance out your body on your own. Um, and like Tom was saying before, and then if you feel like you can't do it on your own, then you progress to like acupuncture and herbs. Mm-hmm. So let's touch on the five flavors that they talk about. So the five flavors are sweet, sour, salty bitter and acrid or pungent i guess Mm -hmm. is the one that they say Mm -hmm. and then these five flavors are also associated with different organs as well and they have different effects on the body as well he also mentions um another like bland flavor which doesn't have a specific organ that it goes to but it is kind of downward bearing and helps to promote urination so I guess that's the one flavor that isn't associated with a specific organ. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, I guess we we should link up all the flavors with the different organs now. So the sweet is with the spleen, the sour is with the liver, the kidneys are linked with the salt, salty taste, mm-hmm. and do you want to read the other two, Charlie? Because I, <laughs> yeah. I haven't written the so other two down. Yep. So that acrid flavour is associated with the lungs and the bitter flavours associated with the heart. So how you can use this is if you eat too much of certain flavours, then it can damage these organs. Or if these, or on the kind of flip side, if these organs are imbalanced, you can have um, consume more of these to help support that organ energy. So it's kind of two ways that you can use this information. Exactly. And that's kind of the easiest way to know what kind of foods that are in your culture that you might not have in like Western culture or Eastern culture or any kind of culture. It's like, is it a bit of a sour kind of taste? All right, this will affect my liver. Or is it a bit too sweet then affect my spleen that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. so it's quite easy to classify and it's quite um generalized i guess in terms of Mm -hmm. allowing anyone from different cultures to sort of like be able to understand what's going on in terms of chinese medicine yeah i like that you mentioned that because he also mentions in the book as well eating or like following a 
TCM diet doesn't mean you have to eat like a tr traditional Chinese um, diet. So, I mean, Chinese food is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm biased, but yeah. like, say if you're eating like an Indian, like Indian cuisine or like Mediterranean, you just pick foods based on these flavors. So it might be foods that you're already eating all the time. You just classify them into the different flavors rather than changing your complete diet to say a Chinese diet or to like a Mediterranean diet or etc. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And I think that that was what's covered in the first chapter is talking about harmonizing these five flavors to sort of best mm -hmm. accommodate your body as well. Mm -hmm. In the chapter two, he talks about clear, light, suitable, suitable foods. So this is what Charlene was kind of talking about before in terms of having that base with that neutral taste. So I know that in like, let's say Italian culture, pasta is a big thing there. Um, in Asian culture, rice is a big thing there. So they're talking about having that base level of, food rather than just eating food with so much flavor in it that you can't your body has a hard time digesting it he talks about avoiding certain ways of cooking food like frying it roasting it too much toasted food fermented food or to eat those in more moderation because it can dry out the blood in chinese medicine yeah, I think that's one thing that we forget is the cooking process makes a difference to the food properties as well. So, yeah, to keep it simple at times when you need to, everything in balance. Yes, it, it talks about how it gets a little bit more complex. It's not just eat these foods. It's like mm -hmm. you have to worry about how it's cooked and prepared mm -hmm. as well. It's not just is it coated in oil or deep fried before you eat it or is it steamed that sort of stuff also mm. changes the properties of the food and how it will affect the body as well yeah so it talks about how the fatter or the richer a um, meal is then it the more it tends to generate damp um, or phlegm and that's a big thing that he kind of constantly goes back to like does this food um, or drink or is this way of cooking um, in generating damp or phlegm and is there a damp or phlegm that we need to clear exactly and he goes into it a little bit more further on when in terms of classifying what kind of body constitution are you do you, are you damp heat are you mm -hmm. all this sort of all like a spleen deficiency all that sort of stuff as well mm -hmm. um, that kind of moves on into a little bit into chapter four in terms of selecting food for this kind of suitable person so in this chapter he talks about what kind of constitution do you have as a person are you a phlegm damp kind of person where you have a very weak spleen normally these kind of people are a bit more bloated um, quite big on that bigger side of the scale where mm -hmm either swollen inflamed that sort of stuff and they're not processing and getting enough chi and blood processed from the spleen mm. something else he also talks about is the yin deficient people and the young deficient people so yin deficient people are normally middle-aged and they're normally quite thin and nervous they don't have that big outside boom voice and mm -hmm. they're normally quite um, withdrawn as well so he normally tells you to eat lighter food and food that will nourish the yin. And for young deficient people, he tells you to eat more warm, acrid kind of foods like fish, mm. beef, lamb, that sort of stuff. Normally happens in elderly patients when they're 
initial gate fire, the Mingmen fire eventually wears out and they don't have that fire to heat the pot in their spleen and stomach. Yeah, and then he talks, the next step of it is he talks about like setting the amount and setting the time. So um, eating food at like regular intervals or regular times during the day and a kind of balanced, not size, quantity, uh, the yes. quantity of food. Yep. <laughs> mm. uh, something I liked about, he, he wrote a really nice quote in this book that I found it quite funny. So in terms of the intervals and the proportions that he normally recommends, he mm-hmm. says, eat like a prince at breakfast, like a merchant at lunch, and a pauper at dinner. So yeah, he normally has recommends bigger portions in breakfast, I guess, eating like a prince, mm-hmm. and then merchants, I guess, in between back in those days. <laughs> and a pauper obviously is very light and something very small for dinner. Yeah. And when you think about the Chinese medicine body clock as well, it makes sense because your digestion is optimal in the morning. So yeah, and you do need the energy for the day. So you're more likely to burn off that energy um, as you kind of go out through go through the day but if you're eating a big meal at dinner you have a big meal and then you kind of just lounge around if you're me at least so yeah you're not really burning off all the all the energy that you need to from this meal exactly right and it's you also don't want to go to bed when you're still digesting food you know most of the time when you're sleeping your body's kind of going through its own recovery it doesn't have it shouldn't really be supplying all that blood or that chi to sort of mm. digesting the food it should already be ready for you at sleep so yeah i think it's i think it's very cool how it's kind of like an opposite to the western diet where most people have small breakfasts or skip breakfast altogether and they have big lunches and big dinners as well so mm. interesting yeah. to see the contrast And he does a lot of that, like comparing the TCM diet to the Western diet as well. Um, So, yeah, it's really interesting to compare the two throughout the book, um, but also comparing it to now compared to when he wrote the book as well. You can see the differences already. Yes, for sure. It's, I think when he compares, especially to Western culture, it feels very outdated like it mm. doesn't feel like as bad it was a, as it probably was back in 1998 I think a lot more <laughs> people now are more more food conscious body conscious health conscious now and mm. they're not eating as bad as uh, he puts it out to be in the book yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. true so then the next um part he talks about is the proper balance in cooking so um preserving the essential nutrients and kind of not overcooking or undercooking anything and making sure it's easily digestible so that it um, it's easier for the spleen and stomach to digest and you're not kind of um, damaging the spleen and stomach as well. There's, there's an interesting theory that he said that I would like to get your personal opinion on this, Charlene. It's, he talks about how um, if you have... The food is what you need. It becomes more appetizing for you to eat. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that entirely. There's like, oh yeah, also sorry. a similar um, <clears throat> kind of. I don't know if it's a theory, but it's a way of thinking that I heard in uni is that if the herbs 
are the herbs you need, then they'll taste sweet to you, no matter what the property is. I I don't know if I believe that because <laughs> Huangmen is still bitter, yeah. regardless of if I need it or not. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? So uh, maybe it's less bitter know. to someone who doesn't need Huang Lian. Yeah, you know? that's that's true. Maybe, but I don't know if if it's the food. I mean, I guess I feel that in a way. Like, if I, I don't know. It's more of if I'm craving it, then my in my way of thinking, if I'm craving it, my body probably needs it, and therefore it'll satisfy some sort of like. I don't know, craving that I have. But then yes. he also talks about how cravings are bad. So exactly. it's like, yeah, I'm like, I don't know if it makes it more appetizing for me. I kind of feel like a little bit, if it's bad for me and I really want it, it makes it mm. even more appetizing to get, <laughs> you know, it's like the, oh, I shouldn't do that. No, but oh my God, if I did, it'd be so bad, but it's so good, you know, that kind of feeling. And I'm like, uh... <laughs> I don't so know. You have if no that's... self-control. I'm, yeah, no, like I do end up <laughs> limiting myself, but I'm just like, I, that's why I didn't quite agree with what he was trying to say is like mm. the nutrients that you might need, it might not apply where I might have certain cravings for certain foods or I can't yeah. eat certain foods based on how I was brought up as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if I fully agree with that either. Let's move on to the next one where he talks about balancing the food in the four seasons. I feel like this takes it to a whole nother level of depth in terms of um, not just how you prepare it and how you cook it and what the food properties are. It's choosing the types of foods that you eat depending on the season that's you're currently in. And I think it has a very nice story behind it, the whole holistic Chinese medicine where you're eating with the season and you're catering around. So for example, um, in autumn, for example, where things tend to be more dry and things you, you want to drink more fluids, he tells you to try to limit how much chilled or cold foods that you eat because you don't want to dry and damage the spleen or mm-hmm. affect the kidneys, that sort of stuff as well. Yeah, and I think if you're eating what's in season in your local area, it makes things a lot simpler as well. Um, to kind of balance the foods. But I think a big thing that comes into it is you can be eating what's in season, but then kind of cooking it in the wrong way that makes it kind of not as nutritious for you as it could be. Um, So, yeah, so thinking about the way that you're cooking things as well, because, for instance, in summer, um, he says eat light and easily digestible foods and um, try not to eat that like greasy or tough or hard to digest foods Um, or also like he also says not too much cold natured drinks so over chilled liquids Um, but in summer that's kind of what you want as well so I guess the preparation of the food um, is quite important and even though in summer like you might be craving I don't know something a bit heavier um, just to keep just be mindful of yes. the way you're preparing it, even though you're eating what's in season. That's right. And it's he recommends eating cool foods like mung bean soup. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'd, I'd like that, to be <laughs> honest, but 
it the gist of it is that he's trying to suggest cooler foods but not over cold foods as well where it will damage the spleen and yeah affect you in the next seasons as well so i'll just quickly go over the four seasons and what he recommends as well while we're at it um during the spring he suggests that we should eat more sweet foods than sour to nourish the spleen during that time but not to overeat as liver is the season for spring and if you eat too much sweet things it can damage the liver and then it will won't will affect the free flow of chi and blood uh, summer is something obviously it's very hot during that time hot and you he tells you to eat light like charlene suggested and try not to eat too many hot foods and oily foods that will aggravate the fire and to eat cooler foods but not to over drink chilled liquid like charlene said uh, autumn went over it a little bit before he just tells you to avoid eating too many uncooked chilled foods because it's quite dry there and cold drinks as well because it's quite dry and it'll damage the spleen and winter is probably my favorite one which is what we're in mm-hmm. now at the moment in australia because he tells you to eat lots of highly nutritious foods so meat is good during this time <laughs> to keep warm and you can you're even allowed to drink a little is what he said it's like you can have <laughs> like a little bit of drinks here and there just to help warm things but not too much that's sort yeah. of stuff as well yeah, so everything in moderation. Which is, I feel like this book has so many limits on it, to be honest. I feel like if I had to follow this personally, I feel like there'd be so many rules and uh, restrictions that I kind of have to abide by personally. Mm, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it is what you kind of prioritise. If you do want that healthy um healthy mindset healthy body healthy diet this is the best this is obviously the premium so if you do follow this through this is what he recommends and i guess something that he talks about a lot in this book is rice i think rice was he had a whole chapter dedicated to just rice and um juk or kanji as he puts it which is like water rice so he says you should eat rice because of its bland neutral taste and it helps tonify the spleen and the stomach and gives it the ability to function back to normal again and if you're really really sick or you're really really old put some water in there and make it like congee and or something like that and i was like i don't know if i want to be eating just rice or congee for the rest of my life you know just to have a good stomach spleen and stomach yeah i think it's good for if you're um imbalanced and then you take it for a little while. And then once your digestion's back, you can handle kind of more food. So you can introduce some more variety into it. But if, say, your stomach has been weak for a little while, I mean, just take some time to, like, rebalance it, support the spleen and stomach. And, yeah, I think for me personally, I would say this is not, like, a long-term like if you're having um, juk or congee, like it's you're not having it for the rest of your life and that's all you're having. Like it's only for a certain amount of time that you try and follow this or this is how I would recommend it to people. Like follow it for like um, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever, think you, what, whatever you think you can manage. Um, and then after that time, slowly start to reintroduce foods back in. Um, if you find you're going backwards when you're introducing a certain type of food, then you'll know that that's the aspect that you need to work on. Yes, exactly right. I think that's the perfect way to put that as well because um, 
obviously this is all just information in the book it's not actual advice for you to follow because everyone's different and where you're currently at in terms of how bad your digestion or how good your digestion is is different for everyone so yeah um, yeah I but i think oh yeah the i guess the main takeaways for me um regarding the like diet would be to eat easily digestible foods um, or if you, sorry, the takeaways, if you're going to do this regularly and not just for like a certain amount of time to balance out your body. So yeah, eat digest, easily digestible foods um, and try and keep that fire of the digestion like strong and efficient. Um, so yeah, not overloading it with certain things um, when you when you are kind of feeling bloated or weak. Um, and also like regular exercise. He mentions it a little bit in the book, but like you want to keep um things warm and keep things moving as well yes for sure i think i think you mentioned a little bit at the start the big three three four biggest things is exercise sleep and diet is what we do uh, and i think it was exercise sleep diet mental health and i guess what you do every day you know like, like <laughs> what do you do in day. your job that sort of stuff yeah. so, so it's like i think those are the five pillars that affect you the most right it kind of dictates how your health is going to mm. project into the future as well so if you can balance at least three or four of them out of five i think you're looking forward to a long and healthy mm. life yeah and then the rest of the book he kind of compares like west the modern western um diet and then he talks about Oh, so in that part, he talks about things like cholesterol and like weight loss and also allergies. And then he goes into some nutritional supplements as well, like vitamins and minerals and things like that. Yes. Something I do like about what he did, though, is he mentions the supplements or the minerals and then he translates it into a Chinese medicine perspective. So, for example, um, eating like magnesium supplements it has the function to estrange the yin and suppress the yang and quiet the spirit and absorb acid and stop pain. So I don't know, it's very similar to what magnesium does, helps with the muscles, like from a Western med perspective, helps with a lot of function for the guts, that sort of stuff. So I can see why if you have overactive stomach and you have lots of sore aching muscles, it stringes the yin, suppresses the yang. So you don't get that reflux all the time or that, or that, bloaty kind of feeling so I thought that was really cool yeah I think that section is really helpful because there's or so far that I've come across there's not too much um in terms of what supplements kind of how that translates to Chinese medicine from Western medicine um I'm discovering a few more resources like Claire Pyer's um, she has some seminars and stuff about supplements and really Western good. medicine pathology. But yeah, I think this stuff, this is really interesting when you kind of compare it as well to Chinese medicine. One of the people I, one of the practitioners I work with, she uses a lot of supplements and herbal medicine to sort of complement each other and use that to balance and boost yeah. patients' health and that sort of stuff as well, which is really interesting. I think that's mm. another avenue that if you're interested in going, we can look into that for future books and that sort of stuff as well so that being said i guess we can have a quick break here and then we'll talk about our final thoughts on how we find this book all right we'll see you all in a bit welcome back to the second segment of the episode where we've kind of run through 
what to expect from the book and where we just kind of tell you everything about the book. So I guess you guys don't have to read. I guess this part I'd like to ask Charlene, how, how did you find the book itself when you were reading it? What are your thoughts? I couldn't help but kind of comparing to modern times or like where we are now. So some of the stuff I think was a bit outdated and I was reading it and thinking, okay, this is a little bit relevant, but also not too relevant at the time. So yeah, it was interesting, definitely, but maybe more as like non-Chinese medicine practitioners. I don't know how specific or relevant it is if like you were going to use this in your practice yeah uh, I completely agree with that as well I I think it does still hold a very key essence because I've had quite a few patients asking about the Chinese medicine diet and I've explained to them using very similar things to the book and they loved it like honestly they're like this is like a new way that no one has really talked about no one knows about the five flavors and how to eat and I've got really positive results from recommending it based on, based on their constitution, what kind of foods they'd eat. And I recommend different types of foods that they can incorporate. And I've had nothing but good results, to be honest. So I think the TCM diet is very relevant. Um, I, yeah, I use it a lot in with my patients as well. But I, I think maybe more um, some of the comparisons the book makes is a little bit outdated. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It is It is a book 24 years ago, um, so a lot of the stuff has changed from then as well. I think mm. for me at least, I, I really did like the book, but there was also a few things that kind of I, I didn't really get what I was looking for. So during one of the chapters, he talks about uh, the far wu or like uh, contraindicated foods that he says, if you're having this, you shouldn't be eating these kind of herbs. Um, so, for example, he put in, if you're eating pork, you shouldn't eat huanglian, jiakeng, or wumei during those times. I don't know why, but he says don't do that. If for or another example, a more broad example is, if you're eating salty food, you shouldn't be eating salty food if you have heart or kidney diseases. I guess that one makes sense because your mm. kidney can't function. But mm-hmm. other stuff like bitter foods. You can't eat, shouldn't eat Buddha foods when you have lung disease, which I get, but it's just, I didn't really get the explanation for why you can't eat foods with the herbs that he recommends. And yeah, one of the things he says is no green or black tea when you're taking your herbs as well. Yes. And um, I I do that all the time. <laughs> yes. No, you or like shouldn't. I have black tea and green tea normally, and um, I take herbs every now and then. So yeah, maybe I shouldn't, maybe but shouldn't. I don't know why. It didn't really explain why I shouldn't. Yes, which is mm. unfortunate. I feel like that sort of stuff is cool, but um, mm. he, I do like how he includes a few recipes and general foods like mm. the standard eggs, chicken, meats, all the general stuff that you would see in a Western diet, which is good. Would you take anything away from this book to sort of use in your own practice? When he was listing the properties and the natures of the food, like different foods do this and um, affects different organs, things like that. I think that is very helpful. And I would use that as well when I'm recommending foods or um, 
different things to my patients or like recipes, for example, if they want like a soup that's suited to their body type or a like specific congee that's suited to their body type. Um, I think the diets and the, sorry, recipes um, and the food information is quite helpful. And yeah, well, not just to Chinese medicine practitioners, but to everyone to understand what you are putting in your body. Exactly. I completely agree. There's one final note that I want to say is that I think this kind of recipes that he's given out or this kind of information makes great stuff for blog posts mm-hmm. or Instagram stuff or anything like that where you kind of want to put extra information out there. Stuff is so good. You just have I to like kind of copy and paste, alter it a bit, change a bit here, and then boom, mm. there you go. Free mm. content. Actually, one thing I do want to mention before the end is there's a bit where he talks about food allergies um, and how the food allergies start because you're feeding your child or in childhood, you're fed foods that are too much for your spleen and stomach to handle, for your digestion to handle. So essentially, when you're a child or when you have a child, to not to introduce too much too quickly while their digestion is weak. And that's how you avoid food allergies. He also mentioned this thing about how in China, like no kid has food allergies. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know if that's, yeah, I don't know if you can say that. Yes. I mean, maybe back in 24 years ago, no Chinese kids had (laughs) allergies, but I'm pretty sure I've seen Chinese kids have allergies nowadays. Yeah. What about alcohol? Sorry. Alcohol is like the biggest thing that most (laughs) Chinese people are allergic to. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. He also talks about alcohol as well. And he talks about coffee, which, yeah, which is really interesting. Which is actually relevant to us more now than ever, Mm. to be honest. How many stars or how many yin yang logos would you give this out of five, Charlie? Mm. Three. Three? Is that too is that too tough, too rough? Um, it was interesting to read. Um, some things I guess I kind of disagreed with a little bit um, in terms of some of the comparisons. And maybe it's just the specific wording of things, um, but it's definitely interesting and I still will use um, some of the things from the book. I feel the same way. So I think I would give it a solid three. I think there's a lot of stuff that you can totally use for like social media stuff if you want to. I think that's one of the big pros about it. <laughs> and a lot of copy-paste material that you can get that's so good for content. Um, but I feel like a lot of the stuff we have already previously learned and it's mostly good as a top-up. Like there was some really good stuff that I learned as well, but it was more of a top-up book rather than a, a whole new world of Chinese medicine that we haven't uncovered. Yeah. But I think if your patients are wanting to learn more about it, you can like send them this like to this book and say, look, this is a starting point. Just disclaimer, it was written in 1998 or 1991. So some of the comparisons to modern culture, modern diets are not as relevant. But if you're looking for a good explanation of the TCM diet, like read this. Yeah, I think that's exactly a great way to put it. And to round off this episode. Yeah. We hope this offers some insight for you into The Tower of Healthy Eating by Bob Flaws. Thank you for listening to Do With Us. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and join our Facebook group for the discussion. 
And we've been the Forever Young Podcast. And we'll read with you next time. Bye. Bye.